Heavenly Father, thank you for your graciousness to us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love and compassion. Father, would you help us over this, both this morning, but over this coming term, to receive what you have for us, the good God who loves to give good gifts to his children. Amen. Okay, well, this morning is a bit of an intro, um, covering some general areas, rather specifically looking at a passage. And we're spending the year seeking to discover what it means, what it means to, for Christians to walk by the Spirit. And so far, we've looked at a few Old Testament passages. We particularly looked at the prophets. We looked at Elijah for a, a short period. And then we spent Lent meditating on how God has given the fivefold ministry to his church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Calling us to live out of all that God has given us. Last Sunday, we celebrated uh, how the Spirit resurrected Jesus from the dead as Jesus walked from grave to garden. And that second song we sang, which I know is a really strong song, you know, it's a story of what it means at, it, at its most simple level. The God of all life who overcame sin and death for us. And this summer term, uh, we're going to look at the theme of the Holy Spirit in the Apostle Paul's letters in the New Testament. What do they teach us and how, what do they show us about that? A little bit of background uh, to, to, to what we're doing. There are traditionally seen as 13 uh, letters that were authored by Paul in the Bible. So if you pick up your Bible, uh, pick up your Bible, not this bit, if you pick up your Bible and start in Romans, then you basically get to Philemon, that that group of 13 letters are traditionally, there's lots of arguments, but traditionally associated with Paul, that Paul has authored them to individuals and to churches. Paul has obviously written them after the death of Christ and Pentecost in terms of the giving of the Spirit. He's written them over effectively a period of about 15 years. So those 13 letters cover a period where Paul is making sense of all that Christ has done and what the Spirit means as he writes to churches and individuals about it. In the mid-1990s, when uh, there was a, a well-known in the theological world, theologian called Gordon Fee, and he's a sort of revered evangelical, but he's also an evangelical scholar, but he's also uh, a Pentecostal minister. He wrote a seminal book on the work of the Holy Spirit in the letters of Paul. And in a sense, we're using that work, that study, as a guide to the next number of weeks over the first part of the summer. What Fee did is that he went and looked at all the verses in Paul's letters uh, where essentially the word pneuma, uh, which is the word for the spirit, and he went and studied them and then produced this small book as, as a study on all that he found to try and make sense of what it meant, what Paul was getting at, and what that meant for us. And he put his findings in this massive book, which was one of the first books I read at college, uh, when I went to college. Fortunately for us, he condensed it into something's a little bit more readable um, uh, for those who haven't got hours and hours and hours to trail through everything, called Paul the Spirit and the People of God. And I'd really encourage you, if you want to try and make sense a bit more of it, and you like a bit of study, really well worth reading. There's a number of us who might read it this term and try and go through it to make a bit more sense of what it's saying. But why? Why did he write this? You know, 
2,000 years nearly after the death of Christ, why, why did he write this? And really his convictions for both a scholarship but also as a pastor with this is that obviously for me and part of the reason I was fascinated, we live in the season of the Spirit. Jesus died, has been resurrected and ascended and the Spirit has been given. So in a sense, looking at Paul's letters helps us a little bit more in the sense that although he's very close to Christ's resurrection, Actually, he's in that same season. I want to try and understand what Paul was getting at. But some of the reasons Fee specifically wrote um, his book was that were some concerns that somehow when he looked at Western culture, it didn't look anything like the church or the life that Paul wrote about. That actually his experience of living in the West was very different to his love for Scripture, his love for God through Scripture, and he's trying to make sense of, well, why, uh, why is there such a gap? What's that all about? And so he, th- he went back as part of thing. And he's, one of his ultimate kind of conclusions is, have we lost a sense of who the Spirit is and all he's done, the Spirit's presence in our lives? Apart that as well, anybody I've had a conversation with, and this isn't just... Um, restricted to the Anglican church, often conversations about the spirit start well but always end up being quite difficult. People get quite anxious, get quite angry, quite conflated about what on earth is it all about. But actually we're going to spend some time having a look to see what the Bible says. But it's slightly more difficult is that we're doing across a number of letters by looking at themes. But I hope that gives you some confidence that we're actually we're trying to honour the kind of the, the overall themes of Paul's letters and what he says about the Spirit, rather than just trying to cherry pick things that suit us. This was the first essay I had to do when I went to theological college a while ago now, and actually it's something that really helped me. You know, I wouldn't say from a personality perspective I'm the most exuberant or kind of thing. So when you think about the Spirit, often you tend to think of Pentecostals, but the Spirit is far bigger. That the person of God, but when you look at Scripture, you see that Paul talks about the Spirit and the Spirit's work in a very specific way, in a whole load of ways, and actually that helped me grow in understanding and being receptive to what God wanted to do in and through me, and helped me uh, in my own Christian walk too. So essentially, we're going to look at uh, three things: is that the essence, that the kind of his basic argue is that the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. The Holy Spirit in Paul is all about God's empowering presence. He writes this as a way in. One reads Paul poorly who does not recognize that for him the presence of the Spirit as an experience and living reality was the crucial matter for Christian life from beginning to end. Fundamentally the Spirit is those three things. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. It's not some abstract, ghoulish, impersonal power like we think of the Holy Ghost and might be, but a person with character and nature and personality, someone to be related to who can be trusted. When you read some of the early Christian writers, the church fathers, are they sort of wrestling with who on earth, when people talked about the Spirit, the Spirit was, you get a real, a deeper understanding of actually this is God's personal presence. It's the Holy Spirit who connects with our own human spirit to awaken us to who God is. 
the essence of all Christian experience from the smallest bit to the most dramatic bit. And I think I've alluded to you before, it took, it's taken me and still takes me a long time sometimes to reach the point where I really want to trust all that God wants to do in my life. Why? You know, where I am now wouldn't have been where I was 30 years ago. Why, why have I changed? Why have I moved? Well, some of that is to do with fear. Actually fearing a whole load of things, what either God would do or feeling looking foolish or fear of losing control. Jesus, on his great teaching, though, in Luke 11, asks, how would God, who you ask for an egg, give you a scorpion? And actually, one of the things as Christians, if God is person in the Holy Spirit and it is relational, then actually we need to sort of find a place of greater trust in his work and in his person. The Holy Spirit, a person who gives good gifts. Secondly, the empowering bits of the Holy Spirit. You know, in our increasingly secular, individualistic and relativistic world, the church has a very significant challenge. But yet, looking at the world in which Jesus came should give us renewed hope. The Bible shows us a gospel alive in bringing change and transformation in a multicultural world. The Bible promises to save, to give life, to grow, to overcome death, to witness, to heal, to pray, to meditate on God's word, to use the gifts God has given us and to see lives changed. And it's the Holy Spirit that brings that power to live of God's holy people in this fallen world. I don't know about you, but am I tend to find when you talk to people about power, we live a time when people are very skeptical about other people's power, whether that's organizations or politicians or whatever else it is. Often we're quite critical and judgmental of people who are in power. But privately, we want to enjoy our own power and our own will, loving our ability to make our own choices whether they bless or curse others, that is quite challenging, I think. So actually, one of the things I would say as we begin this series, some honesty, both in me, but also in you, encourage you, is do you really think you need God's power this morning? I'm not just talking about being weird. I'm just saying, fundamentally, do you think you need God's power to live as a Christian? Because actually, one of the challenges about being honest before God is saying, do I really need what God has to bring or God has to offer? If I'm going to love my enemies, if I'm going to bless the people I work with who drive me nuts, if I'm going to honor God when it's tough and I'm having to make choices that cut across our culture or cut across family expectations, if I'm going to lay my life down for someone who's needy when actually it's really inconvenient, I'm going to find the power to overcome over besetting sins in my life. I'd suggest to you this morning, this may just be me, but I don't think it is, but you know, I'd suggest it to you. We really can't do it on our own. Your own will, however strong and powerful that is, is not enough. Do we long for God's power 
Or are we passive in the presence of sin, temptation, the fullness of the world and the devil? I love it when we baptize someone. When actually it talks about the, the challenge of living in the power of God and against sin, the world, the fullness of the world and the devil. We need God, God's power to live for him. The picture we discover at Pentecost, but we also see in baptism, is of being immersed, of being filled. How do we learn to receive the strength God has for us? And do we want to make that available to others? So God's empowering, then thirdly, presence. I hope, you know, sometimes I think that generationally I might be slightly sort of getting to the stage where I'm on this slightly more mature end. But I, I think for me, and always have done, that the, if the last two years haven't taught us anything about how important our physical presence is, then I don't know when we'll get the message. If you speak pretty much to anybody who's lost someone really close to them, that they've loved deeply, a partner, a husband, wife, whatever, child, grandparent, it's actually their physical presence that they miss. It's not stuff. It's their presence. It's a presence of someone they love. Do you know how many gifts, how many Zoom calls, how many texts, how many memories, how many pictures, how many mementos you carry of all the other things that you've done? Ask someone who's really loved somebody and it's their presence that they miss most. A shared life, a life of love. And God, of course, is a relational God. And after the full promise to restore relationship to us, God dwelling with and in his people, not just individually, but collectively as a body, God dwells with his people. It's not just individual. And when we looked briefly a few years ago, or last year, in Exodus at the temple, the tabernacle, we saw the importance of God's presence God wants to be with his people. God wants a people for his name. God wants to reside with his people. And he wants us to know him. He really does want us to know him. The Holy Spirit is the personal presence of our eternal God. As Fee puts it like this at the end, the outpouring of the Spirit meant for Paul that God had fulfilled his promise to dwell once again in and among his people. And so this season we're going to look at some of Paul writes in his letters, at different themes in those letters of the work of the Spirit. But God longs to give good gifts to his people. And of course his greatest gift was his own son Jesus. And that's how committed to you and to I God is and was. And he continues to offer that same life of Jesus, the life of the Spirit, through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So that we can walk with God, not just clinging on to him like with fingertips, although there are times in life when life is like that, but walking with him and him walking with us. The Anglican author, another one of the books I read early on when I went to college, was uh, someone called Tom Smale, and he called his book, The Holy Spirit is a Giving Gift. And I think that's a lovely title. The Giving Gift. 
the Holy Spirit, the one who loves to give and to give good gifts to us. And the Holy Spirit is the gift of God's personal presence to us, the eternal God. And I believe that is good news for each one of us this morning.